For October 18th, 2021, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 694, Richmond Family Bubble. Hey, it's Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are uh, getting together and uh, exploring our Anglophilia uh, in a safe space where we can, uh, where nothing, nothing there, there, it may seem like there is peril. It may seem like, uh, there is risk, but truly we are all, we are all, you know, just in one big, in one big, uh, structure, in one big tent. We're governed over, uh, by a mature girl boss and, uh, by a, a, you know, mysterious, um, a, you know, a mysterious, uh, paterfamilias without the familias with a, a slight lack of affect whose facial hair uh contains behind it you know many secrets that that uh that we will never that we will never know as a as a rotating uh, rotating cast of clowns and of just regular decent people uh compete to see who is the best baker in all of britain I'm talking of course about the great british bake off uh, that, that, no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the other, <laughs> the other UK property that's taken to, or uh, it's not even, a, it's a, not even a UK property, really. It's made by Apple, I guess, or Warner Brothers. It's Ted Lasso, but it takes place in West London. And, and, uh, season two ended last week. We've had a chance to, to digest and, uh, we're going to talk about it. So, you know, uh, this will include spoilers through the second season of, uh, of Ted Lasso. Uh, spoiler. He remains friendly. Um, mostly. Uh, Ted, Ted Lasso. Does, does Ted Lasso. Does our, our Ted. Our Ted Lasso. All right. I'm Matt Rather. Here with me are my good friends, Matthew Belinky. Hello, Matt. Uh, cheerio, Matt. <laughs> Top of the morning to you. Ah, sure. Top of the morning to you. I mean, is that, is that more well, Irish than... Well, that's United Kingdom. It's close enough. What the wow! People from the Republic of Ireland are probably really. We mad just, we just at lost us all right two now. of our listeners from the Republic of Ireland. <laughs> um, how many countries are in this country, <laughs> Coach? Four. Uh, the um, and uh, and ah, and my good friend who uh, our our Irish friend uh, holding down the the Irish uh, the Irish uh, Peter Peter Fenzel Peter Top of the Morning to you. I used to be the chauffeur around here, but then, uh, you know, after some strategic marriages, I've ended up being the, ma- the uh, manager of the estates. Right? That's yeah, absolutely. That's gosh, and a, and a car mogul, you know, <laughs> mogul indeed. I, I was going to just say in answer to your your hello. By the way, Matt, I do appreciate how you increasingly amuse yourself by deliberately confounding and alienating any attempts for our audience to understand the basic facts of what the episode is about. Do you feel like? Right? Do, you, do you feel like? Well, look, they read the description. There are show notes. Like there's a there's a I, I source a big. You probably don't even see it in your podcast player. Every every week, I source a giant hero image and like you know spend a yeah. few minutes making sure it's it's uh at the right dimensions and and you know at a decent size so that it's not you know doesn't choke your bandwidth on your phone or whatever but people probably don't see it it's probably just a little uh probably just a little card with the title and maybe the first couple lines of the of the the show notes they know what the show is about pete and by and and by the way you know we've been we've been hemorrhaging listeners since 2010 right new new people aren't discovering this show you know what in fact like if you are a new person who 
has who has discovered the show, please write us. Send us an email at podcastoverthinkingit.com or leave a leave a comment on the show notes. If you've discovered the show in the last what five years, I'll give you. If you've come on, if you've come on board in the last five years, I want to send you uh I want to send you a special piece of overthinking it merchandise. So get get in touch. Podcast at overthinking it. Get on our Discord and shame Matt. <laughs> I'll, I'll i'll take all the shame um uh bring it bring bring on the shame um and i yeah but i won't uh i won't let on that i'm suffering because i'm british and uh <laughs> and i have a stiff upper lip we're talking about season two um of ted lasso now matt you, let's let's uh start with you just because uh we don't always get a chance to talk to you and i want to take advantage of the opportunity you know it seems that if you're going to uh call a film the desolation of smaug uh, that the next film in the series should feature nothing but dragon. I'm sure you agree. Uh, and, and it seems to me that if you're going to call a show Ted Lasso, season two of Ted Lasso must have even more Ted Lasso than season one had. Surely this was your experience of season two, Blinks. Surely this was, uh, <laughs> you know, how you reacted to it. I'm right, aren't I? Well, okay. So before we we go to that, let, let's raise some counter examples of shows that are that are named after a titular character, and are are really strictly focused character studies on that. Uh, the one that immediately comes to mind is House, right? Mm-hmm. That like House. There there are no episodes of House without House. Maybe there are. House, house diehards could correct me, but it really see it, the opposite. If anything is true, is that there are episodes of House where it's almost like you know solely focused. I remember one where he's on a plane, right? And there's like a potential sort of a airplane style pandemic on the plane, and he's got to he's got to uh, resolve it by like scribbling on the giant movie screen at the front of the first class cabin. Um, but anyway, like you know the 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 writers that every all the drama of the show comes out of the central character and all of the surrounding characters are just in orbit around the central character. Uh, I mean, like, you know, even, even a, a, a less sort of a dramatic example would be like, like Buffy, the vampire slayer, right? There are side stories, there are side characters. Maybe there's even a spinoff, uh, that I was quite fond of for five whole seasons starring David Boreanaz. Um, but the fact is that like Buffy, the vampire slayer, she is the alpha and the omega of that universe. And I get the feeling that the writers of Ted Lasso don't actually find Ted Lasso to be that interesting and dramatic a character. And that, in fact, they would much rather tell stories about Rebecca or Keely or Roy or Nate. And all of those characters are a lot easier to write for than Ted Lasso, who is is in a, a lot of respects this season kind of a supporting character in everyone else's life. Well, as a, as a coach, is is that not in some way appropriate? Uh, okay, but like you know, the, the counter example for everything that's going on in um, Ted Lasso would be Friday Night Lights, uh-huh. which is a show about a coach and a team and their season, and. Uh, a lot of aspects of now, obviously I don't think it's a one-to-one comparison. I don't think that the way the kinds of stories that they're telling and the, the, the level of realism and the stakes are meant to be nearly equivalent. But the, the fact is that like, I do feel that those, that the coach kind of did remain at the center of that show. Uh, even as the supporting characters became incredibly compelling, you know, Michael B. Jordan compelling, 
Yeah, in 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 later seasons, it did. I mean, it did. I guess he did. You know, when he was transferred to what East Dillon or like it did, it, it did follow him. You know, um, though you know, funny, it wasn't called Coach Taylor, right? It was called it was called Friday Night Lights, and it, there was a sense in which it was uh, the show was kind of advertising itself as an investigation of an institution or of a society. Um, I don't know. On on TFT, we talked about a, a little bit about the ethnographic project of Friday Night Lights. Um, that's a podcast that we used to have back when uh, you know, uh, back when we had lots of podcasts. We we, we had a portfolio strategy, um, and just just like the uh, just like uh, the writers of Ted Lasso seem to have a portfolio strategy um, of characters. Now, I mean, it's sure. Uh, so, Matt, what you're what you're saying? This is interesting. Is it bad? I. I feel like here's the thing. Season one, I felt the character of Ted Lasso himself was such a breath of fresh air and such a delight and his sort of colloquialisms and sort of good humor and the way that he just sort of disarmed people just by being like open and honest. And um, I, he was fun. Right. And this season, when he comes on screen and he makes like a hip hop reference or he tells a rambling story about junior high. It felt a little formulaic, right? It didn't feel like this is like, you know, the writers were having a lot of fun. It felt like it was a little family guy and, and sort of like, this is the kind of thing that Ted Lasso does. You know, th- these are the kind of jokes that Ted Lasso makes and we're just going to do it. And the only drama in Ted Lasso's life is his ongoing panic attacks, and and I think that there was you know and they they delayed addressing that for many episodes and they finally did address it in in one I think very moving episode where where they get to the they get to the root of some of his issues but then I think there was an obvious denouement of the season and I don't I don't know if we're ready to get into this that they very clearly just sort of punted to season yeah. three and it feels. Like it almost ruins the entire season by not bothering to tell a complete story when it seems so obvious what that story should have been. Pete, do you yeah. do you rebuttal or do you do you uh, have observations along these lines? Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. So while the season was going on, we had a lot of banter going on, and I was generally the defender of the show. I think more than uh, more than I think Matt was because I think a lot of people caught on early that something was off about this season. And as I'm watching, I'm like, no, no, watch. They've got it figured out. It's totally going to be great. There's going to be a great ending. There's going to be a great ending. Um, And, of course, there wasn't a great ending. The ending is probably the weakest part of the whole season. Um, And uh, that this, I think, is connected. You could think of it as connected to a couple of things speculatively. Um, I mean, I I don't know. I was just also thinking, you know, the Castle guy is in all the episodes of Castle, but probably not all of them, but a lot of them. Um, but, uh, But just that, like, I feel like, they that there's an internalization of the criticisms of Ted Lasso that's going on with regards to the idea that Ted Lasso can't be a happy or psychologically well-adjusted person because of his positive attitude and kind of a straightforward demeanor. Right. The idea is like, well, it, it almost feels like it's been Zach Braft, which I guess is the wrong way of putting it. But I'm trying to come up with another. We've talked about this in a couple of our recent episodes where in discussing something like the suburbs, right, where the dominant 
discourse has been about what's sort of strange with it. I feel like we've brought this up recently. Maybe I brought it up more in my personal conversations than with my uh, my podcast conversations. Maybe we've talked about it on the Discord. But the idea that takes something like boring life in the suburbs, right? And this, this idea that like under the surface, right? We talked about maybe American Beauty or something at one point. Under the surface, all this stuff is totally strange about life in the suburbs. And really everybody – you think it's all normal, but really everybody has secrets. And I think it's, it's important, especially when those are stories that are being told by young people coming out of the suburbs that they're they exist in an opposition to a perceived normalcy right the idea that like i'm saying i have to say the suburbs are weird because otherwise everybody assumes that they're not weird and if you get to the point that everybody says that the suburbs are weird all the time then it ceases to be a criticism right and it also ceases to be engaged with anything and also i think it kind of ceases to be about the suburbs because it sort of becomes again much more simulacrum simulacra right much more like the thing we created to mirror the thing that we're trying to critique we're now critiquing that and we've kind of lost the thread and I felt feel like that's kind of what happened with regards to Ted Lasso, because the the season seems to pose the question of, OK, sure, this is the kind of attitude that would be successful if you can sustain it over the course of a period of time in bringing together a group of people and, and driving you towards sort of collectively achieving something great. These these sorts of attitudes can be really successful. They can be really great. They can they're underexplored. Right. But. What about whether this actually is sustainable kind of for a person to do or whether it it is reflective of or related to some other sorts of kind of psychological or political sorts of shortcomings, right? And then it's like all shortcomings, right? It's like it's like it feels it doesn't feel like people are saying, "Huh, I wonder if Ted Lasso is really happy." And let's explore that. It felt more like, well, Ted Lasso, Ted Lasso obviously can't be happy, right? Because he's such a normal guy, he has to have like a horrible, crippling mental illness. Sure, he has to be. Right? He has to be Den- Dennis Hopper in Blue Velvet or something like that, right? Like, and, and I mean, that's not as far as they went, but that's part of why it's not a good story, I think, because because they didn't go that far, but they also didn't have the dialogue right between what Ted Lasso is when he's doing well and what Ted Lasso is when he's doing poorly. Right. And like which for him, I mean, he's, he has mood swings. He has mood stability problems. There are times when he's doing well. There are times when he's doing poorly. And like Matt said, I think there was a very obvious narrativization of that that was just tossed right into this show a bunch of times, which is quite simply because he left his family and he left his son. Right. And he's not being a father. And we even get to the point where it's like, oh, Ted Lasso's father killed himself and abandoned him. And Ted Lasso hasn't even emotionally come to terms with the fact that he is abandoning his own son by moving to the UK after his divorce or after his separation and prior to his divorce and all this. And, stuff, and right? so midway through the season, we were yeah. already having conversations about like, well, he's got to go home. Right? He's, yeah. he, at the end of the season, he's 100 percent going home because it seems totally like – the fact he's a fictional character, right? The fact that he has this backstory is not just like a weird coincidence. It's like <laughs> something that the writers wrote to highlight an ongoing issue in his life, which is that he has issues with fathers and sons and abandonments. Right. Yeah. Um, and you, sorry. Go ahead. It just it feels like it, it's funny because like the the character of the psychiatrist is brought in, you know, as this sort of um, this sort of Yoda figure, this this this, you know, and, and our introduction to her is that people walk into her office and walk out changed, walk out uh, transformed. Right. So she's got this um, superhuman powers of 
introspection and like you know she's she's the 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 galadriel's mirror that you look into and you sort of see your you know whatever whatever it is you most fear and and it's um you know it either it either drives you insane or what what is it it's it it, it sets you free but first it's going to piss you off right and somehow we're to believe that she had multiple sessions with ted and she never talked about his kid right and it it, it strains credulity yeah. That simply nobody has thought, except for Nate, which I, I don't think is a coincidence, by the way, that in in this angry outburst, at least half of which I think is is completely unjustified. There were some truth bombs that got dropped. Um, One of which yeah. is that, like, you shouldn't even be here. You should be home with your kid. And he's the only person ever to say that, even though it seems like the writers all kind of feel that way. And it's only a matter of time. Before Ted also feels that way. Yeah, but I it's mean, not that. That would be a show. That would be a kind of a show-ending move, right? Like that, because the premise, well, the premise of it is that he's he's uh, in he's sort of this fish out of water, and he's not living not living there. I mean, I guess well, they could, I'd say it's a season-ending move. He goes home. You know, you could either have a time skip where you pick it up. It's like two years later, and now he's he's come back. He's come back with his son. Um, I mean, if you really wanted to be dark and fridge stuffy, you could do something to the mom, right? You could have the mom, you know, decide to get married and basically like uh, shove the kid off on on Ted. So now the fish out of water story moves to the next generation. You could I mean, I, I pitched an outlandish story about how, like, the team is in such dire financial straits that they have to do something radical, like maybe move to the United States as sort of like an exhibition thing for one season. So now the entire t- it's a reverse. Oh, fish out they of have to story. move. They have to move to the United States and play in the NFL or in the rocks <laughs> or in the rocks. What What is the rocks new football league that, he, that he's investing in? I forget um, the uh, yeah. Some, something like that. Sure. Well, it's, it's not, yeah, it's not, um, it's not really, not really addressed. And it does seem to be, it does seem to be hinted at a lot that, that the, the kind of the physical separation from his son creates a kind of discontinuity um where where it's you know it's jar- jarring that like that like rift is consequential and it's and its consequences aren't good Pete Pete pointed something out that I hadn't noticed um as we were you know chatting about it uh, texting each other as the as the season was going going on which is that in in the episode about about goodbyes which is like uh 10 or 11 or something like that of the of the 12 um Ted's on a phone call with his with his son. Uh, half closes the laptop, says goodbye. Half closes the laptop and doesn't actually cut off his son. Doesn't actually say goodbye. He doesn't actually end the call uh, correctly. When someone you know walks into to have a conversation with him about something else, and his, the 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 voice yeah. of his. Um, young son sort of pipes out of the the uh speakers of his laptop like dad i'm still here you know i'm i'm still here like remind reminding him that that he's still present and pete i correctly i think highlighted this uh, as a you know a uh, a really important moment and it is yeah it is something that the show doesn't seem super interested in in addressing head on um but uh I mean, but it, fl- it does seem me- to float over it floats over a lot of stuff that yeah. that happens 
The, the scene to me that stuck out with a sore thumb, like a sore thumb, was the one where he gets a call from his school. Right, they need him to come and pick up his kid, and he's just sort of like, "Oh, I'm not there. I can't." But luckily, my wife did because that scene is not funny at all. It's not supposed to be funny. There's no punchline there. It doesn't tie into anything that's going on. It just seems there to as a breadcrumb to set up a payoff later. I I almost gotta believe that like in the writers' room when they were originally scripting out this season, they had some sort of epiphany that like what these panic attacks are really about is that like I'm living a lie I'm becoming the worst parts of my father I'm I've become everything I swore to not be um and for some reason you know maybe it's pandemic related or maybe they just decided to like stretch I mean we know I think that that the season was extended by a couple episodes at the 11th, which is part of the reason why the Christmas episode feels a little jarring is that it comes right after the, oh my gosh, we just lost our biggest sponsor and doesn't refer to anything. And it, I think it was, um, you know, they, they later said that they, they wrote it as like a, um, kind of a standalone after the fact when the order got extended. And I wonder if there, there was something similar to that, that caused them to take, where this season was going and just sort of like tease it out and make this almost like a mid season break. Yeah, I feel that way. And I mean, to add to what you said, Matt, that wasn't just a scene. That was the thing that triggered the big panic attack. That was the main dramatic thing that Ted Lasso did all season. Oh, was, was that, the, that was right before the game. Yeah. Right. Wasn't yeah. that, during, that's why during, he had, yeah. During oh. the game. Yeah, no, he had the, the he had the panic attack during the game, but they'll put their that same episode that he got the call right. I mean, like they're not being subtle. This is not like Lost, where like there's a ton of uh, theories about what the numbers mean. This is like on the surface for every, every like Ted Lasso is the last person in the world who hasn't figured out that he has unresolved issues with like a bet going three. I mean, he said it in the finale. Is that like you know sometimes you got to make crazy decisions in life, like moving three thousand miles away from your family. I think he said it as like things you can't change and it's like dude yeah. of course you could change it it's just a job right? like you could Hon- honestly, like up to the last like you know five <laughs> minutes of the episode i was completely expecting him to just sort of like suddenly like stop and stare into the camera and just be like beard take over i got i gotta i gotta see a what i gotta go what was the line from a goodwill hunting i gotta see about a girl i think they even used that line this season at some point they definitely um, in the in the um in the romantic communism yeah. episode, which is one of my one of my favorites, by the way. I mean, he even said I think they said see you next season, and he was like, mm? <laughs> right, something like that. <laughs> like, okay. So yeah, I feel like all of the buildup for that last episode, and and I do want to kind of talk about the rest of the season a little bit more, but all the buildup of the last episode seemed to be suggesting that there was going to be some sort of epiphany with Ted Lasso and his son and or Ted Lasso being in America rather than the UK. And this is when it's going to happen. And it just feels like maybe it's going to, maybe it's the kind of thing that's going to happen right at the beginning of next season, or maybe again, they're just going to skip it in the interest of making it sort of unpredictable. So you don't know what's going to happen, right? Like, well, we could tell the story as we've been structuring it, but we're going to make a jump and we're going to zag when you think we're going to zig just to, uh, just to make sure we don't get reconned by your expectations. Um, <laughs> I mean, it did It did occur to me that we never see there, – there's a couple sort of flash forwards at the end of the very final episode where we see what's going on with some of the characters, most notably Nate. Mm-hmm. Um, but we never see what's happening to Ted. It, and so 
it's not a hundred percent confirmed that Ted is still coaching the team. And I don't think it's beyond, um, it's, it's, it's out of the realm of possibility that like the season begins with Roy and beard sort of awkwardly trying to step into Ted's shoes. And it's sort of like a, where's Ted, where's Ted kind of thing is Ted coming back. And, and there's, there's a little bit of like a, you know, like, I think, I think we've seen, I don't want to refer to Buffy again, but there was a season of Buffy like this where in the season finale, she leaves and it's unclear whether she wants to be the slayer. And I think it takes a few episodes of the next season before she sort of reluctantly returns. And in the meantime, you have to find out how everyone is trying to pick up the slack. Um, so I I hope, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, but I I guess at the same time, it seems like if they were going to do that, why not show Ted on a plane back to the United States and have that be the cliffhanger? Yeah, I hope that the season starts with Ted and Roy on vacation. Were they in Mallorca? Are they going to Spain? Right. Yeah. On the six week vacation, just sort (laughs) of. That is just the two of them together. Yeah. And it works. You know, it's funny that Ted Lasso has this little, you know, they they, they like to play with this sort of. they like to they like to make jokes about how like um Ted is comfortable enough in his masculinity to make like gay jokes, right? Mm-hmm. And this this to me is the the executive producer of Ted Lasso is the same guy, uh, Bill Lawrence, who did Scrubs, and it's very akin to the relationship between like JD and Turk, how they how they always used to make these these sort of homoerotic um little I mean the, the one that it really comes out of is the romantic the the rom communism where it's like Ted Ted and Roy are just straight up sort of like courting each other and they're both like cool enough dudes to to get away with it. But it, that that feels very scrubsy to me. Rom rom communism is a good it might be a good way to kind of pivot away from, you know, because we yeah, you know, we come we come not to bury Ted Lasso, not we come to praise it. And that's uh or or maybe you don't believe um I still I still I thought- fun I, honestly ted lasso is a good example of a show that on a micro level it works very well like scene to scene it's funny i feel like individual episodes are well constructed but it feels like the writers just have no plan and no big story that they want to tell that actually and- what you're saying actually makes it worse right because like there are a number of episodes like the the goodbye one uh the funeral episode the rom communism episode where they're just they're tight they're really pulled together at the at the level of abstraction of like a 30 minute episode of of streaming television right and so the fact that it is a little loose um at the you know at the more uh zoomed out level at a kind of higher level of abstraction the fact that like it doesn't it seems like there are so many uh ways it could go and you know as one of the delights for me of watching any tv show that we watch together um uh, right is the is the sort of the Fenzelian vortex of conspiracy theories of what the like of how all the the various thematic strands are going to turn out, and I feel like I I, I got a good dose of that with WandaVision, and uh, and I would like I was I'm I was sure I was sh- I would bet money Pete that 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 John Krasinski and Emily Blunt were going to roll up in that uh, <laughs> in that finale to WandaVision because you made such a great case for it. Um, who know? I mean, who knows? WandaVision was disrupted by the pandemic. I have a feeling that what we got was um was maybe not what was the the full or um the full or original vision of what uh of what it might have been. But but the uh you know the stuff about the the stuff that that you were sort of highlighting around the um 
around the the show as it unfolded, like uh, a lot of it would have been very uh, good had had they really picked picked up the ball and uh, run with it. Instead, they left it on the ground and just kicked it with their feet back and forth, back and forth without <laughs> ever scoring a goal. And what the hell kind of game is that to watch? Um, the, you know, but, but that, uh, you know, I don't know. It was, sorry, the, the, the long way around the barn to, to make the point, Matt, that something that you said that the fact that it was enjoyable at the moment to moment and even like complete episode level does, does kind of make it frustrating that it, that it didn't hang together. I think, um, in terms of like larger, larger arcs in terms of like a sad, satisfying macro story that you yeah. know that 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 seemed to pay to pay off and kind of you know deliver that that aristotelian uh catharsis that that we were that we were looking for well and then here, here's a great episode to bring up uh in reference to that is the beard after hours episode which is this very strange you know a really like a solo uh journey into this sort of surreal nightlife uh, where Beard is sort of like stuck out on the town. And the whole thing is an homage to like a Martin Scorsese movie called After Hours, where it's this is literally the same story from um, the mid 80s, where a guy just goes on like a date in like Soho and loses his. I mean, I guess there are no phones back in the day to lose, but like he loses all his money. And so he has no ability to get home and he doesn't have money for a, a payphone, And so it's he's sort of stuck out of the town. But here's the and and I really enjoyed that episode, right? It was it was something different. I thought the actor who plays Beard is very interesting, and it sort of like showed us more of that character than we've ever gotten before. But a, how does that episode push the ball forward in terms of the overall season? And b, even in terms of Beard, I still have no idea to this to this day what we're supposed to think of his relationship with Jane, which is sort of introduced with this episode where, um. Uh, Leslie is the only character who will tell him to his face that he is uncertain about the relationship, but it's sort of implied that nobody likes the relationship except for, and and that being the case, I feel like we as the audience are also supposed to feel that this relationship is bad for Beard and it's too bad that he doesn't realize it. And yet like that episode Beard after hours makes it seem like maybe they do have this connection, this strange beardy connection that only they can really appreciate. So I, I just don't know how to read that episode. Yeah. I, I, that, that episode I thought was really interesting because I felt like I bet how you feel about that episode is a microcosm of how you feel about the entire season. And while I was watching it, I was convinced that it was, you know, part of a larger plan. Right. I was convinced that, it was reflective of the scheme that they were going through. Right. And so, uh, of course, as we've discussed in our Ted Lasso season one podcast, uh, season one of Ted Lasso is based off of the notion of John Wooden's pyramid of success. We talked about this in the last time we talked about it, which is where you starts with forward of very simple personal virtues and it builds its way towards what it calls competitive greatness. Right. And the idea being that the foundation of being a successful athlete or on a successful team uh, is to be a successful friend and a successful, trustworthy person, and that these things all kind of build and culminate together. And what it felt like to me that this season was, was a similar concept, but built around the notion of uh, healthy person, interpersonal relationships uh, and vis-a-vis attachment, vis-a-vis the uh, sorts of obstacles that you can run into 
that you work through in therapy. I thought, oh, this is going to be all about therapy. And it's sure enough, each one of the episodes seemed to be a, some sort of maladaptive behavior of some kind that was happening uh, that could be addressed in therapy. Now, I don't think and, and I thought, OK, the last season is going to be like the sort of big reckoning about the big issue with like Ted and his kid. But that ended up not happening. And that sort of calls the whole thing into question. The name of the last episode, though, is inverting the period of pyramid of success, which makes me think, oh, OK. So maybe what they were doing, because even shows you the pyramid, is the first season is we start with the interpersonal stuff and we build from that towards being competitively great. And in the second season, we start from the idea that the team is getting better. Right. And then we look at all the interpersonal issues that happen above that. Right. It's sort of all of the problems that arise as the team gets better. And um, and in e either way you look at it, the beard episode is potentially interesting. But in neither way do we end with the proposition that Jane and Beard are supposed to be together. Right. Like I don't I, I just I have real problems thinking of a sort of concept for the season in which Beard and Jane are like. Not in some way are a good idea. Yeah, are a good yeah, idea. Exactly. Yeah, and if, yeah. And if they're not a good idea, then like, was that episode actually a huge step backwards for Beard? Right. Like, it, it should have been this cathartic moment where Beard levels up and becomes his best self, and maybe gets to the point. Honestly, in another version of this of this season, I could see Ted feels like he has to step out. He can't stay in England. He can't be a coach. And now Beard is ready, right? Beard wasn't ready before. He was always the assistant. But maybe now Beard has become ready because he went through, like, this vision quest. But that doesn't seem to be what we got. Yeah, I, th I put a lot of weight in that episode behind the idea that Beard – decides to wear a dead man's pants rather than his own pants, that his pants have a tear in them. But rather than mend the tear himself, he finds a strange woman that he entrusts with mending the tear and ends up wearing a dead man's pants himself while ruminating constantly on the meaninglessness of his life in a sort of semi-suicidal manner. Right. And it's and like and he ends with the dead man's pants up on the table. Like, how are how is this a good ending? Right. Like, how is not not in that it's a good ending for the episode. But how is this like a an outcome for beer that we're supposed to be rooting for? It just seems so patently the case that that Beard did not get what he needed to get out of that adventure and that that was the point. Right. Um, but I guess that's not how it turned out. Um I mean, I guess the similar thing, there's a similar thing with, I mean, Sam's journey is another example where they really are trying to do something and I just don't, I'm just not there with them. I yeah, don't, I don't know I don't, what I don't, it is. I don't, I don't sort of follow. Thinking about Beard Beard and Jane, um, I, I'm not sure there is a good relationship on the show, right? And 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 it's interesting because a lot of it seemed to be I don't know one of the one of the things that I just enjoy about Ted Lasso that like I, you know in a in a media environment where it seems like we get uh, we get a lot of juice and scoring points off of each other right like to see adults behave like adults um, is is really touching like uh, almost like moving in a weird way. Um, for me, because the, you know, the idea that like people can sort of, I, I don't know, face challenges and, you know, be their best selves, not get defensive, uh, be supportive of one another and not like, you know, not take, not take 
cheap shots at, at each other or not, you know, I don't know, un- subtly undermine, uh, people, you know, in, in, in a way that in a lot of, in a lot of, uh, relationships that you see on screen or in a lot of, maybe, maybe I just watched too much Gossip Girl, but, or, or, uh, you know, um, maybe I just, I don't know, know the wrong people, but the, the, <laughs> you know, the, the, though, I guess you guys are my friends and we made overthinking it. So like, this is, this is something that I think that we've like built into our interactions that like, you know, there, there is a kind of yes and quality to, to what we do and like to see people do that. It's it in, in the, as the characters in the show, it seems, it seems, um, you know, nice, uh, you know, when Roy, when Roy is, when Roy is like, oh, okay, like you need some space. This doesn't mean I'm like wrong or bad or, you know, any of the things that I don't need to like get all kinds of like, you know, projections or really stake my self-worth on this question. It means you need a quiet night at home alone. Okay. I can deliver that. Right. Like, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's very sweet or like the, the um there there are a number of other the way the way that the team kind of comes to like pull for each other and root for each other uh whether it's sam getting the haircut or you know and they 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 kind of create rituals around uh being kind to each other um we, you know i i don't know i, I this is something that i've so- that i found sort of, that i found sort of refreshing um i i have a larger point that i want to make but i guess i'll i'll pause here Pete, because it sounds like you want to jump in yeah, I just want to correct one thing you said. You said there are no good relationships in the show. There is one unambiguously very good relationship in the show, and that is Higgins and his wife. Uh, right? right. Yes. You're yeah. so you're so right. And then of course uh, you'll always be Leslie to me. Leslie, sure. I'll call him Leslie. I call him Higgins. But, I call you know. him Higgins too. What I call mean? I call him Spratt in my house because <laughs> I'm a Gouton diehard. I mean, I don't think this is going to undermine your larger point. I'll hand it back to you in a second. But I just want to point out that if there's one symbol for the whole season that, first of all, suggests that there really is a larger plan behind this season and they just didn't execute on it for whatever reason, right, that they were so close to something that would have made this whole season feel more like a complete work um, and they just didn't do it, um, or even just a meta symbol of kind of what's up with Ted Lasso this season, it's that Higgins doesn't have an office. Higgins is the best husband because he both has a committed monogamous relationship that's sort of mutually satisfying and an active sex life that he actively addresses with his wife and tackles problems. He's the best father. He's very present to his kids. And he's also the guy who ends up being the surrogate father for all the lost, uh, you know, international players on Christmas. Right. And so like he he and he has no he has no office. He has to set up in the weight room. Right. And for this, what this just spoke to me about this idea that like. There's lots of relationships that are being put aside or being mis- dislocated because of everybody being part of this team. And that's the sort of symbol that that uh, Leslie's dislocation is, right? And one of the reasons why all of these relationships are so wrong is that there's just something is dislocated. Whether it's, you know, the wrong you're not you're not with the right son, right? You're you're sort of raising somebody as your son but it's not your son, right? Or like you want to put this sort of activity, this sort of like uh you know, you want to have physical intimacy in your relationship, but you don't. Or even like you're you're trying really hard and you're doing everything right, but it's just not the right partner, right? Like Higgins isn't in his office. All is not right with the world, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but anyway, Matt, well, your your larger point. I just wanted well, to address guess, that. Like, I guess too my, far into the rearview mirror. No, I think I think that's I think that's right, and that like they do things like they do sort of 
supportive things for for one another but also like okay so they're they're an appropriate relationship right like they're age appropriate they are uh not um manager and subordinate you know they're like (laughs) there's a lot of stuff right there's there's a lot of stuff on the checklist uh, on you know i don't know the the checklist that you probably get on some sort of managerial training right that all lines up on the good side that all that all comes out good for show up to his work yell at him in the locker room and like hit him in the face right which is something that happens in this episode this season yeah. right <laughs> or whatever um, whatever it is that jamie gets from his from his dad oh god <laughs> <laughs> but anyway sorry continue continue yeah that well that's like and and this is i mean this is aside from the the uh, this is aside from the like the difficult family of origin uh type of relationships right because a lot of a lot of those like in our lives a lot of those things are givens right they're not they're not things that we we uh we can't affect that we can affect you know you can't you can't sort of wish yourself into i mean i guess harry potter can but you can't like wish yourself into different circumstances um than than the ones you actually were were uh, born in. I mean, Freud wrote, wrote about that, and it's like the family, the called the family romance, the idea that you know you're going to be like adopted by a powerful king and queen or something like that. Yeah, that's not you know that's that's not real. You know, it's and and so in in the relationships of choice, right? In in the sort of um in the you know friends are the family you choose or uh, or the fa- your family is the family that you choose um uh, sort of stuff like even even Roy and Keeley who seemed to to be doing for a lot of it doing pretty well you know even despite adversity like I, i'm not sure what to to think of them because they they don't seem to be really connecting on uh, you know on some some important levels and like the kind of the the um Dis, the disjunction around the plane tickets, you know, around taking a long vacation right when, when Keeley's professional life has become really, uh, has sort of heated up and, and needs a lot of attention. You know, the fact that Roy's not attuned to that is, you know, sort of a big deal, right? And like, uh, that he's like, ah, now it's time for us to be, you know, for, for us to like really spend all of our quality time together. And she's like, not, did you, did you just see, I just got a massive investment in my PR business and I need to start, you know, uh, showing some results, uh, here. I'm under a lot of, a lot of pressure and I can't, I can't, you know, check out for, for six weeks, even though it happens to be your, uh, spring break or summer break or whatever, whichever break it is. Right. Um, that like, uh, that, that's, uh, that, that even they seem to be, you know, um, even they seem to be eh, struggling with something. The the idea that I don't know, but the, you know, the, to me that felt so forced. It's, it's here's the thing. I actually really like them as a couple. Oh, I love them it, as it, a couple, but it, it, they it, seem to be they seem to be giving indications that it's not that that something's kind of amiss, right? Like, but but to me, it's like that was the writers forcing him to do something dumb that nothing else this season implies. I mean, I guess. The idea that, like, just at the last episode, he's starting to feel like he's unnecessary, that he's he's this sort of diminished half, that it's not an equal partnership anymore. And he 
wildly overcompensates by trying to drag her away in this vacation that he knows she shouldn't go on. But it just seems like so many times this season he has done the mature thing and he has it. It just sort of feels like if there was something that was going to drive them apart, they should have introduced it before. I mean, was I missing these warning signs from earlier in the season? Because I sort of felt like the writers went out of the their way to make them you know, into this perfect couple where like no problem couldn't be resolved by excellent communication and like gestures of love and respect by the end of the episode. And then they, but they, then they had to blow it up at the 11th hour because like, that's what you do in season finales, but I didn't quite buy it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, did they blow it? I, it, it just seems, it gives me a sense of unease, right? Like him talking to the elementary school teacher and not like mentioning that he's in a relationship gives me a sense of unease. The, the, the Jamie Tart thing that Jamie's like uh, confessing that he still is, you know, has feelings for Keely. This is like, I don't know that that was sort of, it was dumb and kind of dumbly handled, especially given like Jamie's arc that he's been, you know, um, he's been sort of, uh, coping with the idea that other people are, other people are real. Um, but okay. So set them aside for a second. Like, uh, Rebecca, Rebecca and Sam, T- terrible idea, right? Like, not good, not a good, not a good matchup. Even though I was very like, I don't know. I, I, I was, I was like into it on the level of like, oh, I, you know, I want my, uh, I want my friends to be happy. <laughs> and also they were sort of building it up as this, like this, uh, you know, texting on the app and like flirting and like sort of getting to know each other in a weird way. And, 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 um, really being hopeful that this could be someone that you had a connection with and all, and all of, and, uh, you know, all the signs sort of being good until they, they met each other and realized it was, um, realized it was one another, but it's not, I don't know. I, the, this is not like a good um, the, the situation either. And uh, I don't know. Hey, the, the, and like who else really, who else do we have, you know, relationship wise where, where people are like forming relationships in where we're supposed to be like mature and um, you know, uh, good at, good at communicating about uh, our feelings and our needs and good at supporting each other. It doesn't seem like there are a lot of models of like, um, you know, of what that looks like instead of, I, I had some, some, uh, temporary forgetfulness and forgot about, uh, uh, Spratt and Mrs. Spratt, um, you know, but they're, they're at the, the cottage with the, the Dowager Countess. They're not, you know, in the, uh, they're not in the in the main house. They're not in Downton. Abbey. I really hope Spratt is in Downton Abbey too. <laughs> I got, I'm not. I could probably check the IMDb page to find out, but like I, I just want to be surprised when I go there and on opening day, wearing my wearing my I don't know I, I'm like my my full um, dress whites, you know, my, my tails and my my top hat. White tie, and, yeah, white tie and tails. I'm trying to figure out what would be the best Downton Abbey cosplay for like opening day of Downton Abbey two. 
There was at the ArcLight, uh, RIP, uh, you know, uh, ArcLight, um, in, in Hollywood, there was like a Downton Abbey like exhibit that encouraged with like immersive experiences, like, uh, period appropriate cocktails or something like that. And, and, uh, you, you were encouraged to like dress up in, in, uh, you know, period appropriate attire of some kind and come to the Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey movie. So Matt, like what you're, what you're describing actually did, did happen. You know, there was a brief, brief shining moment when, when we had nice things. Um, I, I, w- yeah. I want to briefly talk. I want to briefly address Rebecca and Sam and not yeah. just let you sort of jump on and jump off and just never talk about it. Um, Cause I don't necessarily think that it was unilaterally a bad idea or let me rephrase it or phrase it another way is always a bad idea. Right. But it wasn't a good, bad idea. <laughs> It was a bad, bad idea. The way that they did it, I felt like when it first started, it could have been a good, bad idea, right? You mean, you mean like if the writers had executed it differently, it could have been a uh, an interesting story? Yeah, or even it could have been a fun, sexy fling, right? Like because that's the idea, right? Is that like, well, okay, I'll back it up, right? Um, from the perspective of the two of them, once it becomes apparent who they are, right? It's going to be really hard for them to carry out a committed public relationship, and it's probably not a good idea for them to, like, get married, right? Um, because, you know, he's really young. Like, he is even younger – the character is younger than the character plays also, right? The character's like, 20 or something like that, um, but the character plays like he's, like, 27 or maybe 26 years old. Um, but it's like, man uh, – but – the character, you know, Rebecca is pretty lost and pretty lonely and kind of still on the rebound from her marriage and and kind of needs to find herself again. She needs to get her groove back. That's kind of that's the weird thing. Right? Is that why they backed off of it? Because it was too much like Stella getting her groove back with this young black man. Yeah. They isn't were that like, interesting this, that, yeah. that when they broke up or when she sort of puts the kibosh on it, it's not because this is unprofessional or this could destroy the team. It's because, like, I'm not ready i'm i'm a girl i'm not yet a woman yeah it's weird right and it's like because i think it was exciting because it could potentially have been a sort of passionate forbidden love story that uh that could have spun out in any number of kinds of ways right they could have like been into it or not into it or they would have tried to sneak around and not get discovered um and they could have also the two of them just had fun with it for a while but not only was rebecca kind of not into it because of her introspective thoughts about her own life, which is a, a, an interesting and mature but strange reason to not be into it. There were so many others. Uh, you know, he's not into it either, right? Like, he's not into it as a sex thing. You know, he sort of is showing up like, I'm just a boy standing in front of a girl asking her to love him kind of thing, right? Like, um, and he's very mature about it in the way he talks about it. But it wasn't, it wasn't like, you can tell, he didn't seem to be overwhelmed by attraction, Right. Like somebody his age might be in that kind of situation. Right. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm relying too much on my own memories of being much younger and not knowing what how any of this worked. Right. But like Sam seemed to to act like somebody with a lot more experience than we think he has. Um, But at any rate, the point is that for them, it is is true. Like you got to before before you realize. Before you realize that the, you know, the real attraction is, is, you know, I don't know, literary or, or personalities, you got to go through some experimentation before you, <laughs> but, and sort of but process of elimination, right? All yeah. the, all, yes. all the things, all the things that are teacher. 
<laughs> all, the test right, first lesson afterwards. Right, exactly. The, the, you get you gotta uh, you you gotta figure out all of the things that are not the basis of a uh, stable, healthy relationship before you yeah. uh, light on the few that are. Yeah, but no, yes, Matt. Also, that right. Yes, on one hand, I don't get the sense that they really had a fun time being together, and it seemed like it was kind of weird and fraught and not exciting, um, and just sort of vaguely disappointing. And then I also got the sense that the writers didn't know what to do with them because there was no there there's no drama. Right. Because there's no changes in their relationship status. They get together, they sleep together and then she breaks up with them. And that's the whole thing. Right. And then then nothing ever changes after that. They just like talk about it a little bit. It's a little awkward, but it's fine. Right. There's nothing funny about it. Because there's no like, oh, man, I went out with him and we went to Dave and Buster's or whatever you would do, right? Like, oh, man, like he came over and, and we tried to cook a nice dinner and have a dinner party. But uh, but like he didn't know what the forks were. Can't do that. That's really <laughs> stupid, right? Like, but that's like the kind of thing you're looking at at this point, right? Like, oh, I invited him over and I fell asleep at 1030 and he sat up on his uh, Nintendo Switch for three more hours just like on the bed, right? Because yeah. – uh, Right, because because one of the, one of the ways where they sort of like lean away from what could be the dramas, he's he is the most the oldest, most mature twenty year old in the world, right? And yeah. I mean, which which is why I mean, of course, like that's the whole premise of the thing. The reason they got together is not because they had this physical attraction at first; it's because they actually are compatible on like a deep level of like I guess they like the same books, right, or something <laughs> because of the banter thing. Yes, yes, yes. Of course, um, of course. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but it, it is sort of like it would be more interesting if it was something where like they had I mean, presumably if they keep going with this plot line, there's going to be, you know, a weird thing where like she's got to go to Nigeria and hang out with his family. <laughs> but I, I, I don't <laughs> yeah, think that they're go. I don't think that they're taking it that far. I, I don't know. That if would the writers be so what even what even would that episode be? That episode is impossible yeah. to do without yeah. the, the Rebecca goes to Nigeria episode. It like <laughs> it's just it's quicksand. It's, all, you know, I don't know. I'm sure. Is I'm this sure one of those chest? It's one of those chess positions where you can't see four moves ahead, but you can't see five moves ahead. And then you wake like one move and you're like, oh, no, all the other moves are now bad. <laughs> like every, every single move that I could make is terrible for me. How did I get in this situation? <laughs> um, I, I guess like my my grand unified theory of the of the season was something along the lines of um you know, I don't know. The, the, I realized they got relegated at the at the end of the first season, but there there was a sense in which it was a victory, right? Like it was a victory for Ted's coaching, if only because like it was Jamie like taking his advice, you know, do, mm-hmm. doing what Ted would have said that allowed allowed him to make that that final goal and sort of win for uh, win for his team, um, right? And and also that it was. You know, it was sort of a freak thing. They got they got to the tie, you know, and and had kind of overcome their thing. And it it was just a you know I don't know a, a freak accident. Like actually, no one thought that Jamie would have learned his lesson. Probably <laughs> that like uh, that that allowed it allowed it to happen. But the, but um, 
you know, I and and then a lot of people got what they want, like Keely and and Roy ended up together the, the in a a you know supportive and uh, age appropriate relationship, like something something from the first from the first season. Um, Keely was talking to Rebecca and said, you know, I don't know when I was when I was twenty one, I was dating a twenty one year old footballer. Now I'm thirty and I'm dating a twenty one year old footballer, um, and like she gets someone who is you know, a little more, uh, on her level. And that's, you know, that's good. Like a lot of, a lot of stuff ends up well for, for a lot of people. Ted ends up being accepted, right? He ends up kind of bringing everybody around to his, um, to his point of view. Right. And so my, my theory about this, the second season was that like the whole thing was kind of an exercise in, um, I don't know what got you here won't get you there. Like it, that is to say like the victory isn't the end of the story. And, the, and in a, in a sport where it's like cyclical, where there are like seasons and there's another championship or another promotion or relegation or whatever, uh, every year, um, that like the, the, uh, you know, you gotta, you, you find yourself sort of in, in new, new problems. And like, this, this is vague enough. My theory is vague enough, uh, has, has little enough meaning that it can be kind of applied to anything because like, you know, any plot that happens, it's like, Oh, it's a new problem. They thought it was all, all done, but it's not. But, um, you know, I don't know the, the, the idea that like, Oh, getting your successful relationship kind of like, um, uh, embarking on a relationship with someone, uh, who you're excited about, like, isn't the end of the story. There's like a, a long, hard slog, um, um, you know, to, to, uh, to just sort of living together, to being together. And that, you know, that's a whole other, that's a whole other set of dramas, right? Or like the, and it, it was sort of what, what Pete was saying, like there, there are things that are like worked on in therapy or there are things that are kind of worked on in, in, in therapeutic ways that are, you know, un- uncovered in, in supportive relationships that like, uh, you know, that come out and, and they're still, um, you know, I don't know. There's, there's sort of still work to do even after, uh, even after the victory. I don't think this was, was born, born out. It accepted in, in the ways where, you know, my, my take was kind of vague enough to be meaningless. Um, because like, as I say, it could literally apply to anything literally. And that, um, you know, but the, the, um, I, I, I too, I, I don't know, kind of like Peter was sort of hoping for it to kind of, I, I was hoping for it to to add up to something a little more robust, like a little more concrete. Other than like, um, yeah, I enjoy the people. Like I, you know, there are characters that there are some characters here that I like. Um, I like hanging around with. I feel like I, as we round the the bend on the um on the or I don't know as we move into the as we move into the uh whatever third period of this soccer match we should um we should probably talk a little bit about Nate because he hasn't been we you know Matt uh, referred to him um referred to him earlier but like his his plot this season was that he was being an asshole the whole time to everybody and that that like people noticed you know beard clearly like was clocking that that he wasn't behaving well he wasn't treating people nicely beard wasn't doing anything right like it seems like it seems like a curious oversight uh, a curious sort of lack of coaching um for a you know for a culture that really is kind of about like 
meeting people where they are and helping them be some sort of best best version of themselves. I don't know. Did did either of you have uh, thoughts about Nate? Um, and you know what he says, what he sort of shouts angrily at Ted in the last episode, or just kind of what uh, what his arc was like uh, throughout the whole thing. I mean, I do. I would like Blinky to go first if he wants, just because we don't get him on all the time. But if I Matt mean, doesn't want to go. No, I mean, it was interesting that, like, I. You know, this was, in a way, another plot line, a lot like the one about Ted not going home to his son, where it felt like it could have been resolved this season, right? That, like, you know, Nate's bad behavior was a plot thread throughout the season. You know, he Beard gave him at least one talking to about that, like, you can't deal with your players that way. Like, you need to be better, do better. Um, you know, the various care, you know, and it feels like he could have come to some sort of cathartic conversation where he has like a screaming match with Ted or with the entire coaching staff, you know, in the second to last episode. And he could have broken down in tears and they could have moved through it. And instead, it, he storms off and becomes evil uh, and, and goes, goes completely gray becomes get off the gray. He did. Well, um, he, he starts starring in a, in a, like a soccer themed remake of starship troopers. They were all very <laughs> Paul Verhoeven in that last shot. But like team feels- evil from Shaolin soccer. Yeah, exactly. Really? Like team evil from Shaolin soccer. Exactly. Yeah. I am curious when they finally resolve Nate's plot line, the sort of the way they resolve JP's plot line this season. And he sort of like gets to, you know, have his moment with Ted and apologize for everything that he did and come back to the light side. If it's going to feel like it needed more story or if it's going to feel like, why couldn't he have just had that conversation at the end of season two? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so, Part of it is that they dawdle, right? Like a lot of this this stuff is they introduce these conflicts early on in the season yeah. and then they just tread water for most of the season, which might be, as you said, Matt, a product. I didn't know that the season was extended, but it might be a product of the extension of the season, right? Because there's there's two issues, right? The one issue is that Nate becomes more successful as a coach, right? Um, well, I guess that that's there's. There's three issues. There's four issues. There's five issues. There's three issues. One, two. There's two Nate issues, and there's one not Nate issue. The first Nate issue is he's getting more successful as a coach, and like a lot of us run into in our professional lives, when you outperform at your work, and then all of a sudden you're not like promoted or anything, you have to look for a lateral move because sometimes the the top of an organization is not that big, and there just isn't enough room to lift you up because there's there's just nothing, nobody else to put in your place, right? Uh, and so, okay, great. Nate's now a known factor. He's the most famous assisted assistant coach in League One, right? Now he should be able to write his ticket to any number of other teams, right? That, from a sports mentality, that seems to be obvious, and it never comes up in the entire season, right? So that's that's problem one, right? Um, and eventually, and I was saying, I was saying from early on, oh, Nate's got to leave the team, right? He's either got to quit or he's got to leave the team, right? And that's that's just like. Well, and I thought it was going to be resolved by them deciding not to like keep the actor for another season because they need to they'll need to cut the budget or whatever. But then I realized that this show is being made by Apple, not by AMC. And so Apple doesn't, you know, all of a sudden be like, yeah, the iPhone doesn't need a camera this year. Uh, the way the AMC is like, yeah, cut half of Mad Men doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, but the other issue that Nate has is, of course, that he becomes successful and then he goes back to his dad and his dad is really cruel to him. 
about the nature of his success. And this like is hugely triggering and re-traumatizing. And he then revisits this unhappiness on everybody else around him for the entire year. Right. Um, mostly the equipment manager who he, you know, emotionally abuses straight up just like there should there could be a really serious lawsuit, but there won't be because that's not how workers are protected. I may be in the UK, but not around here. Right. Like um, he's real mean to this guy. Right. In a way that's totally inappropriate. And he's mean to other people, too. Right. Um, so, like, there's the issue of like and also, you know, he does look for approval from other people. And I guess you could argue that it's not fair that he doesn't get it because he's like short. Right. Or maybe because he's a person of color. But like he's really a jerk. So it, it's you know, he, I can understand why he's frustrated that, you know, that Roy isn't threatened by him kissing Keeley because Roy doesn't think that he's like attractive enough to be in his league, nor does Keeley. Right. Um, and so that might be additionally frustrating to him. But that's all part of his psychological stuff with his dad. Right. And then the third thing is that, like, Ted Lasso is looking for somebody to fill the gap. Right. Ted Lasso doesn't know what he's doing. And so he brings in Roy without realizing that he now has like one, two, three, four. Right. He has like how many coaches can you have for this team? Right. You bring in another coach, but you have a full coaching staff. Right. So like, are you just not going to deal with the fact that you now have an extra coach? You know, like like what are you going to do about that? Are you going to move somebody? Right. Like, I don't know. You could sell one of your guys to another team on contracts, I guess. You could do that with players. I don't know if you can do that with coaches in, in the British uh, football system. But anyway, that's what I'm saying is that like and then, of course, the intersection of Ted not knowing what he's doing because he's distracted um, because he is in deep denial about his abandonment issues, right? Which is why he goes after Jamie, right? When he says that he won't. And when Sam tells him not to, he still does it because he's in denial over his abandonment issues, which is why he finds Roy. who's like a sort of new relationship, right? Why he does all this other stuff that's kind of counterintuitive and bad. Um, but it's the intersection. Nate looks at, at Ted's half of it and doesn't realize that. And he does, he actually nails it. He realizes why Ted is doing it. But he doesn't realize that it's not Ted doing it. That's the thing that's really upsetting him. That's like the proximate cause of his upsetment, right? Nor is it Ted who should have the responsibility to do the things for him that he says that he wants. Um, so I thought that was cool. But I just wish they could have dealt with it all a lot sooner. Um, but it was still good. I liked it. I thought it was good. I thought it was well-performed. I thought it was twisty. I thought that the end was kind of a fun surprise to see, to see like, you know, Cobra Kai Nate in, in full effect. I don't know. Matt, what did you think? Yeah, that's, I, I mean, I think that's, Pete, I think you really hit, hit a lot of it. I, I do, th right. I, I, in, in, it is conspicuous, right? In the kind of the culture, the fictional culture that they build where everyone like pulls for each other, everyone roots for each other. Like, uh, it's kind of super supportive. It's, you know, like, um, your success isn't at the expense of my success or your, you know, uh, your being bumped up doesn't mean that I'm torn down. Right. Like this seems to be the ethos, uh, that they're trying to create on the team that Ted is trying to, it seems to be a very Lesovian, um, ethos and that, uh, you know, the, the, um, Nate's kind of, uh, not participating in that is so conspicuous, right. Mm -hmm. That it's, uh, it's, not it it's hard to see why that wouldn't come to a head well before you know uh it um 
well before it actually it actually comes to a head. It, yeah, I mean it's it is interesting. Like there there is a thing, you know. People are getting therapy. People are getting, um, you know, people are getting like coached. Uh, there is a lot of kind of non-familial caretaking that that goes on, and and I suppose Nate is kind of excluded from that, right? Because he he goes from being. Uh, he goes from being barely recognized, you know, at the outset of, of the season as the, as, uh, at the outset of this, of season one as the equipment manager, like shocked that someone could, uh, shocked that someone could learn his name. Um, the, for, you know, to, to being a coach, you know, to, so the, the, like the kind of the, the mentoring angle, it's not why, well, you know, I don't know what professional development, um, <laughs> stuff they have in in place on the coaching staff of the uh of AFC Richmond but like he you know he he changes he changes roles from being a a, a receiver of care to being a provider or a, you know someone who should be a provider of care but w- without really the stability like the skills um the you know uh whatever the the kind of introspection or or healing that that he he needs to do that and it's it's interesting Pete that like you know the the at a um <laughs> the the uh the, uh, the Nate like wanting um actually actually needing to to kind of get the the support or the apology or the kind of like uh the healing w- with his actual family with his actual father and not not with Ted and that like the the stuff with Ted is all displaced from you know stuff that that really would be more appropriate um you know dealt with dealt with elsewhere but he he's also you know i don't know he's sort of a quasi adult i guess but but he's past the age where like you know i don't know you can you can expect your your that your parents i feel like there's there's an age that you hit where you know the idea that um the idea where it becomes increasingly unlikely right that that your parents are going to be able to like make up for the many deficits in their parenting of you in you know <laughs> in in your childhood right like there there's a certain there's a certain point at which like you got what you got you know the, the telemachus uh, moment is that what you're <laughs> yeah something like like something like that that like you got what you got and you you like the torch passed to you and you got to deal with it like you have to find a way to uh to uh, you know to sort of supply that lack um supply that lack yourself um i you know i it's like i don't know what i what what would work it would it would be hard you know i mean like i i i'd turn immediately to like uh gambling or drinking or you know i don't know like <laughs> Um, it's just really like, uh, really, um, getting really involved in a cult or something like that. But, uh, you know, so you're I don't saying know. that Nate shouldn't be yelling at his boss. He should be joining a CrossFit gym. Right. And exactly. just getting shredded, just getting totally shredded. That's th- and- <laughs> right. I'm into it. I think that's a, that's like, that'd be a great thing for him to do. Or, or he should just like get super duper into like league of legends just in his spare time. And, and it's like, oh no, Nate's now a, a world-class uh, he's a world-class yeah, uh, exactly. player. That's how, yeah, that's how he becomes, that's how he, be, he becomes an athlete himself uh, yes, of yes. a sort, he has to leave you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and gets all of that, gets all of that like mentoring and, and, 
and caretaking. I mean, there there is something. It is something interesting that in in a culture that is kind of built on on supporting caretaking, like Nate Nate makes a move, gets a promotion onto the coaching staff, and and all of a sudden, you know, the caretaking and and whatever is not uh, is not really um, available for him in the same way, and he doesn't. I, I, he, and it it you know I don't know echoes probably something in his personal life that makes him it makes him very difficult uh, for him to behave in any kind of adaptive way. I want to see the Loki alternate universe where Nate is the guy on banter, not Sam. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> I do. I do want to echo something you said yeah. earlier, P, which is that I think that even though I, I'm not sure I completely buy his turn to the dark side. I think it, it sets up a fun dynamic for the next season. Have this will, this will be my last Buffy, the vampire slayer reference for the evening. I promise. Uh, Giles, uh, as the ex-husband, uh, was a very fun sort of foil last season. You know, when it, whenever he showed up, it was sort of like, it was, it was just fun to watch him try to, you know, stab a dagger deep into the heart of Richmond and watch sort of Rebecca and Ted try to, you know, keep a stiff upper lip. And he was largely absent this season. Um, but he is, he, they, they set him up nicely at the 11th hour to come roaring back next season. So the, the dynamic duo of Giles and Nate are going to be like real antagonists, which is something that this series has been missing up until now, like a team that is really um, not just sort of like professional adversaries like Manchester United, but like personal adversaries, like they're going to be like um, trying to trying to um, set Richmond up to fail. You know, like I, I fully expect that like either Giles or Nate or both of them will be like spreading rumors to the press or, you know, really trying to sabotage them. On on the levels both petty and uh, personally devastating, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, but I did want to say one more thing because I think it like a, that would be kind of a different sort of show, though, don't you think? That's a you lot more. That's a lot more soapy, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, it 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 is good. No. And it, you're right; it sounds delightful. I I think it also is like a, a sort of real change in tone because you know I don't know like like um, nothing is that serious. Like they they piss off a multinational corporation, and there are really no consequences for that in this in this season when they all you know black out their. their their shirts with the the air. Oh, I, f- I forget what the name of their their fake Emirates airline. Their fake uh, was it Dubai Air? Dubai Air. Um, yeah. yeah, which yeah. is not the actual Dubai airline. I had to Google it to be sure. Um, I mean, I, I it might be a change of toe to me. It would be a welcome change of toe to have something external for Richmond to rally against. Uh, yeah, you know, as opposed point. to just sort of the world in general. I also think that like, it doesn't need to be super dark. And so I I'm thinking back to Sue Sylvester on Glee, right. That like, she's an antagonist for the Glee club, but she's also like sort of a fun, she's a fun antagonist and, you know, like watching her square. I feel like watching Giles and Rebecca square off could be fun. You know, mm-hmm. and 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 I enjoyed those moments in season one, and I honestly hope that they upgrade. G- I'm going to keep calling him Giles, by the way, the same as I'm going to keep calling Sprat Sprat. Uh, I hope that they upgrade him to like semi regular, you know, so that like he shows up, he and Nate show up in some capacity in almost every episode. Um, yeah, but I I do want to I do want to bring back bring it, one bring thing, us home bring I us think, home. I think it it um, dovetails with a bunch of the themes, which is that like if if you could sum up what Ted Lasso, his coaching philosophy has been, it's a sort of deprofessionalization 
of the workplace, right? He's like breaking down all these norms, right? You know, going way back to like the, what the first or the second episode, you know, Rebecca wants to keep a professional. She does not want Ted storming into her office, right? Like she wants him to schedule an appointment and go through a secretary. And he has insisted that he is not only going to come into her office and just like, you know, talk about his favorite rock concert he's ever been to, but he's going to bring her cookies every day. Right. And, and, um, and honestly, I think some of that comes – they really – they don't go into a whole lot of his background, but we know that he's a coach at the collegiate level, um, a serious coach at the collegiate level. I mean I think I think there's some incredibly unlikely backstory about him who's coaching like a like a D2 team that somehow won the NCAA champion. You know, a real underdog story. Um, but the fact is that like he doesn't come from a professional background where people are playing for money and it's a business and people are traded all the time for business reasons. Um, and he's really that philosophy has trickled down to everybody at this point where it, it does not feel that Richmond is like a business where everyone is just there for the money. Uh, it feels like they are a family and they spend Christmas together and you know, and and I think you know Rebecca at this point is not Ted Lasso's boss. She is his buddy, and she's going to back him up. There's no question. I really would have enjoyed it this season if there had been some kind of a decision where they disagreed, right? Where she was thinking about like I need to pull rank on Ted, but it's it was kind of unthinkable this season. Partially because I think she she there's a, a great debt of guilt on her for her duplicitous actions in the first season. And I think that she kind of owes him a, a, a free reign, but like, I would like it if the, you know, honestly, I really enjoyed the plot line in the first season where Roy is sort of in decline and he is, he is no longer sort of fit to be the captain of Richmond. And Ted doesn't have the heart to, to basically to say it out loud and beard has to yell at him and just be like, look, this is a professional football team. These guys are pros and you're not paying them in the respect of treating this seriously. You're, you're, you're being too, you're, 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 you're letting feelings get in the way of a team anyway. And like, I, but think about the issues we've talked about today, such as Rebecca feeling like it's okay to be with Sam. Like that might be okay if they were like in some sort of volunteer, if they were playing in like a community orchestra, right? Or they were like, you know, or, or like Even she was like a big problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. I suppose. Or she was like the RA on his floor and it's like, it's frowned <laughs> upon, but like at the end of the day, nobody's lives are going to be ruined. But the fact is like, it's a wildly unprofessional thing. The thing that I keep coming back to is like, if you flip the genders, it would be unthinkable, right? In, in a post Me Too age, to have a story about like a male boss who is having a secret relationship with a much younger employee, a female employee, right? And it's it's not okay. And the reason it feels okay is because of what Ted Lasso, the coach, has managed to do, which is like basically get people feeling like, come on, we're all friends. We're all, you know, we're 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 more than friends. We're family. Don't even think of this as a workplace. <laughs> Um, which I think, you know, works to a certain extent, but maybe gels with what, what, um, I think you were saying earlier, Matt, which, you know, which is that the things that got you here are not going to get you to the next level, right? Where, and in fact, become a hindrance at the next level where Nate implodes because you didn't treat him professionally enough. And maybe Rebecca and Sam become public and that implodes because you weren't able to see it's as the rest of the world will see it because you were stuck in your little Richmond family bubble. 
Let's leave it on that. We have a, you know, we have a new season probably coming out. I mean, with all the, the Emmys and stuff like that, I think we're going to be living with Ted, Ted Lasso for a while. Um, so I'm excited to see. I mean, it's one that I'm going to, going to continue with. I think you guys will, um, also, I'm guessing, you know, the, the weaknesses of this season notwithstanding. I still, uh, my challenge is out there to anyone who has started listening, started listening to the podcast within the last handful of years. Give me an email at podcast at overthinkingit.com. I'd love to, uh, love to know how you, I'd love to do a little market research on how you, <laughs> how you manage to find us. Cause I, you know, I don't know. I think indie podcasting is dead and it's Spotify all the way down now. Um, the, which, which is a tragedy. Um, but the, uh, yeah, but the, the podcast continues. Continues for for we few, uh, we we happy few. Um, I I'm I'm really hopeful that the dragon is all over the next episode, the next uh, the next Hobbit movie. Um, fingers crossed. <laughs> Until next time, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve.